and welcome to episode 17 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to have everyone open their presents one at a time. Come on, Grandma, can't we all just open them at the same time? This week, we're discussing family games, and we're going to have a special guest on later in the episode that has to do with that theme. We'll be discussing games we've played recently, like 1860, Clank, and Order of the Gilded Compass. We'll then be talking about some games that are great to play with your family. And finally, we look into the etymology of the word game. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Ambi, what games have you been playing recently? Yesterday, I got to play a couple of heavy games. We spent the whole day playing games, pretty much. And one of the games was 1860. Which is an 18 18- XX. <laughs> choo choo. Yeah. So 1860 is an 18XX game. If you're not familiar with those, they're heavy economic games, usually involving buying stock in different railroad corporations and then using those corporations to lay track and run trains on a map. I talked about them in episode five, if you want to hear more about them. Have you really only talked about the 18XX games in one episode? I feel like. Well, in the recently played, yeah. <laughs> oh, in recently played. Yeah, that's true. And I still need to play one, but here, tell us about <laughs> 1860. Yeah, so 1860 was published in 2004. It's not in print, so you won't. it'll be really hard for you to find it if you want to play it. But it's a two to four player game. It plays in about three to four hours, and it's best with three. So this was my third time playing. I played it with two players and with three players. And it's different from other 18xx games in a couple of ways. So one thing is that in a lot of 18xx games, you can go bankrupt because you have to buy trains for a company if it doesn't have any trains. But in 1860, you don't have to buy a train for a company, and the company can lease a train from the bank. So you don't have to worry about going bankrupt. And also, the route calculation is a lot more interesting. There's You can skip cities that are small, and you can skip tokens. So in other 18xx games... If, if someone else has a token in the way of the route, then you can't go through it. But here, you can skip one token. So um, it makes route calculation a lot more interesting, but also a lot more difficult and might make the game last longer. And then also at the end of 1860, there's nationalization. So all of the corporations run multiple times at the end and give out money, but only the best companies run multiple times so like the old corporate corporations that aren't good start dying and then the best ones get to run again and so you really want to have a good company to give you a lot of money at the end so usually you want to be the president of a good company but in the game i played i didn't get a company at the beginning so then i decided that i was just going to try to invest in good companies and not care about having my own good company so the other players thought I was like doing terribly, but I actually did pretty well because I was invested in the top two companies, like kind of evenly. And also one of my companies that was about to die didn't actually die and actually did really well because it could lease a train and I had built up a good route for it. And so after it leased a train, it was able to build up enough money to give me a good return on my investment. So I didn't do as terribly as other people thought I was doing. <laughs> which was well, fun. that's always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so 1860 is one of my favorite 18xx games because it has interesting route building. And I really like what route building in the games. And it's also one of the best 18xx games for two players. A lot of 18xx games aren't good for two players, but this one works well. And that's 1860. 
Very cool. Truthfully, before, Ambi, before you started talking about 18xx games, I had mm-hmm. almost no knowledge about them. I knew that they existed, and that was about it. And I think I had thoughts probably similar to a lot of other people who aren't familiar with them that, like, maybe they would all be really similar since the theming is similar. Because since I am a mm-hmm. thematic gamer, I think it's sometimes hard for me to you know, see past that, the theme, but Mm -hmm. everything that you describe in most of these games sounds pretty different and really interesting. So I'm definitely excited to try one. So whichever is your favorite, it should, or (laughs) multiple favorites, you should definitely bring to MeepleCon and we can play them in March. And then our, then our podcast will become board game 18XX and we'll. (laughs) All 18XX all the time. Yeah. Which sounds sort of dirty, but you know. (laughs) Okay. So recently I played Clank. And uh, I remember being sort of on the fence about this because I was like, okay, well, it's deck builder, but it's also dungeon diving. And how how does that work together? Because it sounds really awkward. And uh, I was like, ah, I was like, I guess I'll play. So um, Patrick from what did you, uh, what did you play this week? Um, made me play it when he was visiting in Columbus. <laughs> he made you play it? or Well, we were sitting there and trying to find games to play at uh, one of the local shops. And I was like, he's like, let's play Clank. And I was like, okay. Patrick's I a guess. cool dude. I would, I would trust his recommendations. Uh, but yeah, and anyway, I did end up really liking it. So Clank, like I said, is uh, deck building and dungeon diving all wrapped up in one tidy little box. Not really tidy. It's kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you start with a deck that has like your currency and some movement points and uh, cards that give you Clank, which Clank is bad. Um when you draw Clank, you're essentially waking up the dragon, which is never a good thing. You don't want to wake up the dragon in the dungeon, right? While you're trying to get all of his treasure. So as you draw your cards and play your cards, some of them will give Clank and they go into this little pool. And if the dragon gets woken up, all of the Clank, everybody's Clank goes into a bag. And then you pull out a number depending on how far up the dragon is on his anger like chart. It's not really what it's called. It's just what I, that's what I call it. The anchor chart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's a two to four player game. It's 30 to 60 minutes. I think uh, most, the two games I've played have been within 30 and 45 minutes. And it's Renegade games, which they've been kind of blowing it up lately. So yeah, you're building your deck similar to you would, to how you would in Ascension, where you're getting your money, you're getting your attack and you're getting movement. Uh, the cool thing is, is some of the cards will have like multiple things. So they'll give you steps for your movement and they'll give you money and you can do use all the things on that card. Of course, those are going to be the higher cost cards. But as you're diving into the dungeon, you want to collect treasure, of course, because why else would you go into a crazy dragon filled dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just sounds like oodles of fun all by itself. But yeah, the treasure, treasure is a motivating factor there. Um, and as it stands, like, as your adventurer is, you go in and you can pick up one big artifact treasure and a bunch of little ones. If you can't collect more than one big one, unless you go to this like little merchant market area that's in the dungeon, because there's a guy just hanging out selling you stuff in the dungeon, <laughs> like one does. <laughs> 
And then once you have that, you can pick up an additional larger item. The larger items are more victory points. But you really want to be out back out of the dungeon as fast as possible because you get an extra 20 victory points for being out of the dungeon when the game ends. If you are still in the dungeon when the game ends, if you're below like the ground level, so if you're in the dungeon like basement area, then you die and you don't get anything. If you're above ground when the game ends, then you're going to die, but the villagers come in and drag you out and you still get all your victory points. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's basically how it works. <laughs> anyway, I really liked it. Um, I have, after playing it a second time, I'm actually really interested in picking it up myself. I'm picky huh. about deck builders, but that sounds like one that I would probably dig. It's very thematic. It's one yeah. of the most thematic <laughs> games I think I've played all year. <laughs> and that generally is for me the yeah. Well, I guess technically my two so my two deck builders that I like are uh, Firefly Legendary Encounters, which I've talked about before, and Paperback. And Paperback, I mean, word games really aren't thematic, but it's an entirely different thing than a normal deck builder. So yeah, I love Paperback. Yeah. Paperback has a completely different feel than other ones. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's not not like most deck builders, which is a good thing, but. That's a discussion for another day. (laughs) I recently got to play Order of the Gilded Compass, which is a 2016 release from Gray Fox Games for two to five players. Order of the Gilded Compass is a re-implementation of an older game called Alia Iacta Est, which is Latin for the die is cast. So sorry, Cassidy, I don't know if you'll like this one, but it is a dice game. Dang it. <laughs> so I've played Aaliyah Iacta Est in the past and I really liked it, but since it was an older game, it was a little harder to find and I you know, wasn't up for searching on eBay or whatever else, so I hadn't bought it. Uh, but when I heard that it was being re-released as a new game, I was really excited. The easiest way to describe this game is it's kind of like a grown-up version of Yahtzee, but with dice placement and set collection elements added in. Um, Certain buildings are, so you're like archeologists or you're like explorers who are trying to win favor with like a secret society and different buildings get put out at the beginning of the game, um, which gives it some variability and uh, replayability that's really nice. And the buildings incorporate different types of tiles and items into the game that'll give you victory points. And each round, everyone rolls all of their dice, and then they allocate some of their dice to those different buildings based on different rules. So on one building, you might have to put runs down, and the person who put the biggest run on that building at the end of the round will get the first benefit from it, etc., etc. Or in others, it's like you have to make a set of the same number, and higher numbers will go first. Um, But there's a bunch of different rules, similar to Yahtzee, in how you score those buildings. And you claim little buildings to put in front of you, and you claim archaeologists and cartographers, and you get tools to assign to them with some of the buildings, and other little benefits that'll give you bonus abilities. And all of that is to gain points, and whoever has the most points win. While this game, truthfully, the theme is there, but it's a little pasted on, I really like it anyway, because I do like dice games, unlike Cassidy. (laughs) And really, as you know, kind of similarly to another game I've described before, Quantum, while this is a dice rolling game, there are enough ways to mitigate unlucky rolls that it's not super frustrating. Like you can't ever, and you roll your dice every round. So like you roll all your dice in the first round and you allocate some of them. And when it comes back around to you, you roll them again. So 
even if that first roll only had a few that were helpful, then you get to roll the others again. You don't have to have one great roll ever, basically. I mean, when you get down to only a couple of dice, obviously your options will be limited, but it's easy to teach, not too difficult to learn, and the variability makes it really interesting because the different buildings that come out um, based on what you choose at the beginning of the game. My friend Greg actually knew that I was looking forward to this coming out and he bought it for me as a Christmas present. So I is now in my collection. I have not even played my copy of it yet. <laughs> I played Greg's copy of the game, but I'm super excited that I own it. And I have a feeling that it'll be coming off of my shelf a lot in the near future. So that is Order of the Gilded Compass from Gray Fox Games. In our last episode, we discussed a whole bunch of games that are good for parties. And I would imagine that some of you that listened to that episode might have thought, man, there's some really good games that they didn't mention at all. Like a lot of really good games that they didn't mention. Well, spoiler alert, we knew that this episode was going to be about family games. So we omitted a few of the ones that, while good for parties, are really good for families. So we're going to talk about some of those now and some that are good for families that aren't good for parties <laughs> probably as well. So a game that was talked about last week that's great for parties and for families is Deception Murder in Hong Kong. So Crystal talked about it in her recently played last week and it's a really great game for families because it accommodates a lot of people. It's really easy to learn and it's not really hard to lie in it like other social deduction games. Whereas games like The Resistance or Werewolf might be harder for families to play because they're not comfortable lying. In Deception Murder in Hong Kong, I think it's a lot easier for people to lie because they don't have to really lie. They're just like trying to also figure out the clues that the That's a really forensic good point. scientist is giving. Yeah, I think... I like I, I'm trying to picture playing most social deduction games with my family and it, I'm like if I brought out Spyfall I have a feeling they would all just be fully confused and it's <laughs> not that Spyfall is a hard game but just having to wrap your head around the fact that you have to lie about where, the location where you're at like it's it's hard to wrap your head around the first time yeah so uh, yeah I've played Deception Murder in Hong Kong a lot with my family and my parents actually bought it that's really cool um our special guest is here now for this segment my mom, Wanda, say hello, mom. Hello, I'm a special guest. You're a special <laughs> guest. <laughs> but yes, you're a special guest. And my mom, who has been visiting me in Las Vegas this week, got to come with me to my weekly meetup and hang out with my friends and I, and we played a few games. And while generally for family games, I think I normally think bigger player counts, in some situations, you might actually be one-on-one -on -one with somebody and have some time to kill. And my mom and I played Patchwork on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And while it is a two-player only game, I think it's actually really good for families. And uh, what did you think of Patchwork, Mom, the first game we played? I liked Patchwork. I truly think, though, that I would do a whole lot better playing it the second or third time <laughs> the first time's kind of hard so my mom is being she she thinks that she didn't do well but anyone that's listening to this podcast that's played patchwork before knows that the first time you play you almost always get a negative score because whatever my mom scored three points on her first game she her board was almost filled uh -huh. so she did she, yeah she did awesome for her first game yeah. yeah i don't even do that most games <laughs> mom would you say that 
one of the reasons that you might maybe liked Patchwork was because it's kind of Tetris-like and you enjoyed Tetris? I do enjoy Tetris a lot. And Patchwork was similar to Tetris in many respects. But I also liked Patchwork because of the quilting aspect. And I enjoy quilting. And so when you're talking about putting the pieces together as you do in Patchwork, that's a whole lot like you would in, in regular quilting. Yep, that's true. And I mean, admittedly, our, our quilts don't look so pretty by the end of it, but they're this pretty. True. But they're pretty yeah. fun to make. Yes, <laughs> I love Patchwork. It's one of my favorite games. I was, uh, even though I don't own yeah, it. Yeah, I was kind of blown away by how much I enjoyed it when it first <laughs> came out. So one of my favorite um, family games to break out, especially if it is a larger group, is Suro. Ooh, that's a good one. Suro is great for families because it's extremely easy to teach. It's plays a tile and move your little guy along the path. And the only goal of the game is to stay on the board and last man standing wins. It's one of my one of the easiest games for me to get the family behind. And it's quick, too. So even if, like, one of your family members is like, ugh, board games, like, come on, this takes 15 minutes. You don't have to do much. It's it's good, I swear. And the, games like Sorrow, I feel, are really good at potentially, like, piquing people's interest about the hobby as a whole. Ambie, do you have another one that you want to talk about? I actually have played a lot of Mahjong with my grandma. So my grandma, I think probably the only game she plays is Mahjong. And she's she actually be- beats us all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> so if you don't know, Mahjong is similar to gin or gin rummy, where you're you have tiles and you're trying to get sets of three, either three in a row or like three of a kind. And you want your whole hand to be full of sets. And then it has some other rules. There's like flowers that are just special. And normally people play it with money, but I've never played it with money. So I'm not like... <laughs> That you don't want to, you don't want to clean out your grandma's pocket. <laughs> well, no, no. I think she, grandma would be cleaning out everyone yeah. else. <laughs> so she says she doesn't play with for, with money either. She's like a very casual mahjong player, but still, like when we play, we play with my parents and my grandma, and like she always wins and laughs at us. But <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> I've talked in a previous episode about how I played Balderdash when I was a kid, and while we were at the meetup this week. A friend of mine actually brought the updated version of that game, which is Beyond Balderdash. I know that uh, Tom Vassell and the guys at the Dice Tower have talked about Beyond Balderdash before and kind of sung its praises. And I had never played the updated version, but it is a blast. We played with a group of six or seven people and my mom was able to play that with us as well. What did you, mom, what did you think about Beyond Balderdash? I think I'm going to have to acquire that game <laughs> when we have large groups. I loved it. That was a blast. And I was so impressed with everybody that was playing. You know, you need to have a group of similarly eccentric people <laughs> playing the game because you really do have to have kind of an imagination. So I would say that probably um, not for a very young person, but it's great when you have a bunch of people. Yeah, we, so in case anyone's not familiar with Balderdash or what Beyond Balderdash is, um, in regular Balderdash, you're making up fake definitions to words, and one person has the real definition and writes that down, everyone else writes a fake one, and then 
the person who knows the real definition reads off everything and you have to guess which one was the real answer. And in Beyond Balderdash, they extend it to different categories. So they'll give you an acronym and you have to write down what you think the acronym stands for. Mm. Or they'll give you a date, a random date, and you have to write down what event happened on that date. And it's never, you know, major events in history. (laughs) It's random stuff that you would never even think to guess. Or they'll give you the title of a movie and you have to name its plot. Stuff like that. And our group was ridiculously creative. I I should actually, I'll send a message to my friend that owns the game because I think she keeps those slips of paper. I would, I would love to take a picture of some of the groups of answers that we ended up with because they were really creative, really good, and it was a lot of fun. Phenomenal. I've never been good at Balderdash. <laughs> I, think, I think Beyond is better because... Those, those other categories, especially like the acronym one, like all you have to do is come up with words that start with a certain letter, you know, in a row. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of one of the ones I did. Like it was SLFC or something like that. And I think I put down like uh, spectacular ladies for Christ or something funny like that. Like, <laughs> I think it, it was something similar to that or whatever. The real answer was just as bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) It usually is. Another one that I really like for families is Forbidden Island. Mm. Mostly because I find it easier to get the family around a game where we're all playing it to win or lose together. Cooperative games are definitely good for families. Yeah. 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 And, And it's the easiest one i found to teach i'm not going to bring out ghost stories for my family oh gosh Sorry, family i can't even imagine um. <laughs> that's, that's pain that no family should have to endure and i that's not to say i don't like ghost stories i love it but who baby that game is punishing my mom and one of her girlfriends came down and we played forbidden island and she liked it so much that she went out and picked it up so that's kind of cool because i can't remember the last time my mother has ever played or purchased a board game so that was exciting another game that i got to play with family over thanksgiving and i hope to play over christmas too is transamerica so this is a light train game where you're building railroad across the united states trying to connect five different cities and everyone has a different five different cities that they need to connect, but you can use the same railroad as other people when you connect to them. So you're basically trying to get other people to build track for you and then like sneak in and finish off your your route. And it's really easy to learn. It takes like each round is like five minutes to play. So it's really fast and it's so it's a good family game, I think. I think that's a good choice. And uh, truthfully, it's even lighter than Ticket to Ride, which most people mm-hmm. consider to be a good gateway game. I would say... Yeah. If you are trying to get someone into the hobby a little more hardcore, then maybe Ticket to Ride is a better choice. But in general, I would say Transamerica is a better option for just a light game. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun. I actually watched a video for it, um, I think after talking to you, Ambie, about some entry train games. Mm -hmm. And I like the way it plays better than Ticket to Ride because everybody's sharing the same tracks (laughs) and you can sort of sneak in and do your thing. And I think that that's a really neat... um, piece of the gameplay yeah you never get completely cut off like you do in ticket to ride because that can be really Mm -hmm. frustrating in ticket to ride when somebody takes that last route that you needed and now you basically have no options in transamerica or trans europa which is another implementation of the same concept those games you never get cut off Mm -hmm. we skipped over some games last week that 
are really good party games that are also really good family games. I, we don't obviously need to discuss them in detail, but like a few of the ones that we had talked about discussing that we ended up not putting on the list last week, uh, Telestrations, um, which is basically telephone using words and pictures. Dixit is great for families. And I've never played Dixit with kids, but I imagine that um, younger kids would actually come up with some pretty interesting phrases to go with some of the cards. I think the youngest I've played with was five or six. And I think that was a little too young because they weren't quite there on the imagination. They were a little too straightforward with what was on the card. But I think like the Mm. eight to nine range is a good place to start for that because they get really, really creative. I mean, I had some I have way much more fun playing this game with kids than I do with adults just because like. It's just crazy, like, the insane things that they can come up with for, for the cards that, you, that, as an adult, like, you just forget about or just won't ever think about. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I think uh, another one that's good for kids and adults together would be Apples to Apples. Or uh, maybe with slightly older kids, uh, Super Fight would kind of be a next step up from Apples to Apples. Because you're making up superheroes and, you know, putting them against each other and trying to argue for which one is going to beat the other one. But they all, some of them have good modifications and some of them have hindrances and it's interesting. Same, along those same lines of Super Fight for like maybe older kids or teenagers or young adults uh, concept, I think is a really good one because... You know, Pictionary, I think, back in the day used to be a fun family game, and Concept kind of has the same feel as Pictionary, but you don't have to be able to draw, and it's a little more abstract. So I think, and Concept, there's no real, you don't have to do scoring, you don't have, there's no, it doesn't have to be a winner or a loser, so that's a really good family activity to just kind of kill some time um, at, like, a family gathering around the holidays. I'd say one other one that would probably be good for families, like let's say your family really likes trick-taking games, like hearts or spades. Diamonds is a really good option that has a little bit more to it than most of the traditional trick-taking games. Mom, I know you like hearts and spades. Yes, I do. So I'll, I'll have to show you diamonds at some point because okay. it's a lot of fun and it's similar to those types of games, but there's these little gems that you have to collect and you can steal them from other players by what cards you play and stuff like that. So Ooh, yeah, okay. it's a lot of fun. It may have taken 17 episodes, but for this week's etymology segment, we're finally going to explain the origins of the word game. (laughs) Game is a Middle English word that came about during the 13th century. Tracing its roots, it becomes quickly evident that the word game has existed in some form in a whole bunch of different languages. It can be traced back to the Old English word gamen, meaning joy, fun, or amusement, as well as the Old Frisian game, meaning joy or glee. The Old Norse gamen, meaning game, sport, or amusement, as well as words in Old Saxon, Old High German, and Danish. It is also thought to have roots in the Gothic word Gamen, meaning participation or communion, which itself stems from the Proto-Germanic gaman, a term used to express the sense of people coming together. And that just is all warm and fuzzy, that game gets itself traced back to people coming together. 
And all of those definitions right there, that's just the word game in its noun form. That doesn't even dive into the adjective or verb forms of the word. And I, I'm not going to bore you with all of that because there's a lot more. But needless to say, <laughs> it sounds like a whole bunch of people in a whole bunch of parts of the world have been playing games together or getting together to do fun stuff for a very long time. So I'm glad that we're keeping that tradition alive today. We wanted to give a shout out to Dave Colleen, who rated us on iTunes and left a review that said, What a great show. They pick fun, interesting games, and the discussions are always engaging. I would recommend this to any board game enthusiast. Keep it up, ladies. Thanks so much for the kind words. Thank you so much. That was really nice. Yay. We love positive reviews, and every review on iTunes helps our podcast become more visible to people who are searching for podcasts. So anytime anyone wants to leave us a review, we yep. will heart you forever. Even if you're not leaving us a re review, we appreciate you. But since we are going to be spending some time with our families during the holidays, we're going to be taking our first ever hiatus. We will not be releasing an episode on January 5th, but we will return on January 19th. So have no fear. A wanted to give a special thank you to my mom for joining us on this episode. You're very welcome. You're, yes, you were a wonderful guest. Very special guest. <laughs> and we hope all of our loyal Blitzketeers have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And we will be back on January 19th. And that's it for this week's episode of Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, to get links to all your social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow, technical support provided by Toby Mao. Have suggestions for the show or just want to say hi? Shoot us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Until next time, we are family. I got all my blitzers with me. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Have suggestions for the show or just want to say hi? Shoot us an email at boardgameglitz. Boardgameblitz. Boardgameglitz. <laughs> all right, I'm backing it up a That's little. That's our fashion podcast. <laughs> Why don't we have one of those? Because I'm not fashionable. Me either. Me either. <laughs>